Welcome everyone to the Courageous Truth Podcast. You have tuned in to our weekly book review. We believe at the Courageous Truth Podcast we need to arm ourselves with the truth of God's word as we navigate culture and secular society. We pray this review will inspire you to dive into this book and prayerfully consider the author's content. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast as we continue to be courageous with the truth. Welcome everyone to the Courageous Truth Podcast. I am very excited that you have chosen to spend again a little bit of time with me today. I am I'm just I'm kind of sad that these book reviews are coming to an end. I have one more next week, which I'm going to announce at the end of the episode. But this week, I am reviewing a book by New York Times bestseller Candace Owens, and it is a book called Blackout, How Black America Can Make Its Second Escape from the Democratic Plantation. In case you haven't noticed, I've been reading books that are, or reviewing books that are very relevant to what's happening in our culture, what's happening in the world around us, current events, kind of the spiritual struggle on the surface of our nation and society. I've, I've been reading books that have a lot to do with that, and this is no different. I, I was fascinated by this book. I literally read it in about three hours. I could not put it down. It was very, very easy to read. It felt like he, she was just telling a story of her life. She uses names, dates of current events. She was very thorough in her research. Very, very glad that I read this book. In fact, it's been sitting on my shelf for about six months. And I picked it up, couldn't put it down. Very easy to read. Um, You will have no problem reading this book. But as always, I just want to take some time to uh, kind of go through it, give it an overview, and hopefully, 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 wet your whistle. There is so much information, knowledge, weaponry that is locked up in books today, we can no longer let them sit on our shelves and collect dust. We must engage with the information that is in between the covers of these books. To start this book out, there's a foreword by Larry Elder, and then there's an introduction that I think is very important because it kind of lays out exactly where black America is and compares things like unemployment rate, fatherless rate, poverty levels and whatnot to Lyndon B. Johnson's America in the 1960s. And there's a lot of references throughout the entire book to how Lyndon B. Johnson ran the nation and some of the things that he did. And many of us know, and I just found this out, and I guess guess it just became a revelation how racist he was towards black America, maybe not by word, but at least by deed. And here's what I love about this book. This book debunks things like critical race theory, debunks the systematic racism, debunks, you know, the the Black Lives Matter movement, all the activist movement from someone who has experienced real racism. The first chapter is called On Conservatism. Starts out with the history of and the birth of the Ku Klux Klan, plus it's going into hiding, and then the rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan. And the tension that the Ku Klux Klan and the author's great-grandfather had, and the fights that they had against the Klan. And I think that that was very important to note, because this kind of gives the author so much credibility into the things that she is talking about. 
And the first chapter goes into the actual racism that this woman had to go through. She was front page news in her entire state in 2007. How this woman's, she received some racist phone calls and messages on her phone and how it tore her up inside and how the media came to report the story, NAACP came to report the story, and they just ate up this racist call and all the court cases and media that surrounded it, but yet no one ever talked to her who was the actual victim about it. And it really set her on a path, she talks about, to lay down roots in conservative thoughts, because she realized how much of a facade this racial war actually was. This war on racism wasn't really a war at all. It was more just a manufacturing of racism to keep the narrative going. In chapter two is called On Family. And she takes a look at the modern breakdown of the black family, looks at some stats and some numbers about how, you know, really she talks about how the Democratic Party has really focused on breaking up the family of all Americas, but mainly black families, keeping fathers out of the home and the way they do it. I mean, this is a really eye-opening book, and I, I do not feel any shame talking about it because I'm just really repeating the things that she read herself. Chapter three is called On Feminism, and she goes in-depth of stories of women who fabricated lies about men in modern day, going to uh, Blasey Ford, Deborah Ramirez, who accused Kavanaugh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, of sexually molesting her. And then it goes back in time a little bit to Emmett Till, who was spending the summer with his family. He was from Chicago. He's spending his summer with his family in Mississippi, who was accused of whistling at a white woman and was street-style executed, tied up, and thrown into a river. He was 14 years old, who talked with a lisp, and later found out that he just whistled to try to get the attention of people. He wasn't doing anything racist, but yet he was executed for it, and talks about the dangers of the feminist movement. Chapter 4 is over civilization. And I'm going to read an excerpt from this chapter, basically how we fight racism so long to have a nice, just society that we've been fighting it so long that we begin to manufacture it. I want to read an excerpt out of that chapter, page 91, and this is what the author says. It would certainly seem that America has come a long way since 1960, so far in fact that we may actually be returning to the place from whence we came. After decades of civil rights crusades, we have perhaps become so accustomed to fighting for progress that we are pushing it to the point of our own detriment. The truth is that black America currently finds itself in a position of privilege that civil rights leaders of the 1960s could have only dreamed. Yet rather than bask in the glory of our victories, we are instead creating new challenges. All of these developments reflect the current social climate of America which I have come to describe as over-civilized. I want to read this next excerpt, two pages over. It says this, We've reached civilization within the black community when we received our rights to live, work, vote, and love in accordance with our own desires. Over-civilization is our current state of race-baiting, fabricated oppression, and calls for self-imposed 
segregation. And she talks a little bit about how college campuses are now having segregated dormitories where black Americans want segregated dormitories where only black Americans can live. Chapter 5 is on socialism and government handouts and how the Democratic Party has worked to keep black Americans enslaved to the system, where it's actually more beneficial. There's more benefits of being a single black mother than a married black mother and how they've worked that into the system and created almost a cycle of fatherlessness. Chapter 6 is on education. In fact, I'm going to read a little chapter, and it talks about, she really just kind of goes into talking about the black culture has begun to reject education. And really, I mean, if you look at black culture, especially the music, and she talks a little bit about that, talk about the music of black culture, how it's moved from, you know, the uh, days of my girl to now you have hardcore gangster rap, you know, you have Jay-Z, you have, um, you know, you had Tupac, you had Biggie Smalls, you had Kanye West, and all these rappers who were given, in a lot of ways, a platform to represent the black community with unbelievably horrible and derogatory music. And so I want to read just this very small quote out of the chapter on education. On page 148, the author says this, The truth is that black Americans celebrate ignorance and accuse those among them who do not capulate to ebonics as acting white. Nobody knows this better than me. And it goes into talking about stories of how she was in a higher academic level than her classmates and how other black students in her school were would bully her, would push her around, would uh, demonize her, who would say derogatory things towards her just for being a higher academic class. The next chapter is on excuses, and she just goes through in great detail. The author really speaks to the negative results of affirmative action. In other words, allowing people who of color, allowing people of color to take spots in colleges who are not academically prepared for those courses and how it's actually having a reverse effect where people are getting into colleges just because of their skin color, taking classes they're not prepared for, thus setting them up really for disappointment and failure in a lot of ways. Chapter 9 talks about on faith. Now, this is a very interesting chapter because she talks about how the government has really attacked the faith of the black community. There's a hymn called Amazing Grace that so many people don't understand. And the history behind the song and how it was written how freeing it is. I'm going to read an excerpt from this book called Amazing Grace. And this is what the author says on page 199. The hymn Amazing Grace is well known to most as a staple favorite at Sunday church services. The harmonious melody carries words that reflect in many ways the parable of the prodigal son. Yet few know the story of John Newton, the man who wrote the hymn. 
Newton was a slave trader from Great Britain without any religious convictions. In 1748, just off the coast of Ireland, his ship became caught in a storm that he was certain would end his life. Desperate, he called out to God for mercy. Having survived, Newton believed that God had delivered him from his circumstances, and he committed himself to Christianity. Six years later, he gave up slave trading altogether to pursue theological studies. Soon after being ordained into the Anglican priesthood, he began writing hymns, among them Amazing Grace. What is remarkable is that hymn has found no immediate popularity in Britain. Rather, it gained steam decades later in the American South during a Pentecostal religion revival. Soon the song became a Negro spiritual sung on plantations by black slaves. The author goes on to just talk about how faith is under attack in the black community and really in America altogether. It talks, of course, a little bit about the Marxist takeover and the socialist communism trying to sneak its way into America. But I want to read this final excerpt from this chapter on faith, and this is what it says on page 215. So where does this leave the conversation on faith? Well, quite simply, the left wishes to drive a wedge between people and God in the same way as successfully driven a wedge between individuals and family. The left understands that in order to grow government to a state of omnipotence, there must be nowhere else that its citizens place value and faith. As you can see through this book in just a short overview, you can tell that the government is trying to really control people and become the God, become the provider, become the peace, become the protection, become the solace of not just the black community, but all of America as well. The final chapter in the book is that on slavery. And she makes no quills that slavery exists. She does not deny that slavery exists or the horrific horror and demonic trade that it actually was. But what she really points out is the fact that it seems like all these activists, such as Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, Black Lives Matter movement, they throw such a fit about different black people being quote-unquote oppressed or killed by police. Number one, those people don't know the facts. Number one, they don't know the story. And number two, they're throwing a fit about the wrong thing. They're throwing a fit saying, because of slavery, America is racist. And I want to read this excerpt from that chapter, the last excerpt I'm going to read. Page 248 says this. Despite the fact that early colonialists wrote extensively about the savage culture of Native Americans, their writings were eventually dismissed in the name of political correctness. The preferred narrative was that white European men needed to savagely portray the injustice the indigenous people to justify their own genocidal pursuits. It was even assumed that the Native Americans themselves lied, or rather had been misunderstood in their own recorded sacred texts regarding their practices. That is, until science. Eventually, anthropological studies determined conclusively that Native Americans, just as Christopher Columbus and so many other earlier colonialists had first reported, routinely engaged in cannibalism. Today, this truth is no matter of dispute. However, reluctantly, even the left-wing New York Times published an article citing scientific evidence of indigenous cannibalism in Colorado, and the Smithsonian now formally acknowledges that Northwest Native Americans practice slavery. 
According to the standard cross-cultural files, at least 39 indigenous societies practice slavery, just as brutally and immorally as everywhere else. Yet, for whatever reason, the sum of their slavery and cannibalism is not problematic for the left, or at least not as problematic as the white man's slavery. So just why is the left, is it that the left wants us to look the other way? Why is it that their view, imperialism, cannibalism, murder, slavery, and other undeniable sinful acts became forgivable, so as long as it was not executed by white men? That's a good question, Candace. Thank you for asking that. And then finally, she goes on to end the book in a conclusion, the truth about Donald Trump. And the truth about how Donald Trump is actually good for black America. How he has helped them, how he has brought up, brought up the unemployment rate, how he has done great things for the African American community. Now, we all obviously know she goes into so many reasons why the left media and the left ruling class hates Donald Trump and wants to do everything they can to destroy this man. I don't need to go into that. You can read the book to yourself. Now, the final last thoughts that I want to say about this book is this is the truth about the manufacturing of racism in America from someone who has experienced real racism. She makes no excuses. She makes no qualms. She doesn't say anything about her being oppressed. In fact, she says quite the opposite. She stands up for black Americans. She celebrates the black culture. How many of you know African American culture is beautiful. African culture is beautiful. The same as Islander culture is beautiful. The same as white culture is beautiful. The same as Hispanic culture is beautiful. She talks about the beauty of the African culture and how it has been silenced by the manufacturing of racism, primarily from the Democratic Party, also from the media, and from activists. This is an eye opening and captivating and very, very easy to read. But it's the truth, the unaltered truth, and she backs everything up with names, dates. Of course, it's been shadow banned on Facebook. Of course, she has been labeled a sellout to her race, but all the more reason to go out and pick up this book. The link will be in the show notes. Finally, for our last book of this 10-part book review, I'm going to read and review the classic by George Orwell. 1984. And I'm excited to dive into this book. I'm excited to share it with you. So thank you very much for tuning in to the Courageous Truth Podcast. I'm always blessed that you chose to spend a little bit of time with me. Make sure that you go out, read this book. It's really going to help because you got to understand race has been weaponized in America. And this book takes the magazine out of the gun and empties the clip on the ground and takes away the firepower of the weapon of race in America. This book is worth every penny, every moment to read it. I would implore you, please go out and read this book. It will help you, especially in an over-racialized culture, to take a courageous stand for the truth. I will see you this weekend for a brand new episode dropping Sunday night. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Make sure you take a courageous stand for the truth. Thank you for tuning in to the Courageous Truth Podcast. We live in a world that is in desperate need of courage and in desperate need of truth. 
My hope and prayer is that this podcast will equip and inspire you to live courageously for your families, for your communities, for your God, and for your country. Be courageous in your stance for truth in a world that has completely abandoned it. See you next time right here at the Courageous Truth Podcast. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button right now. Remember, I am your host, Eric Lumberg. Truth requires courage. <laughs>